Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Delicious Magazine January podcast. This month, Rick Stein reveals what his disco days taught him about being a restaurateur. We find out why we need to eat ugly food to save the planet and get the best tips to get you through Blue Monday. We find a warm fire and a tempting welcome at Coombs Head Farm in Cornwall and we discover what's in this month's edition of Delicious Magazine. But first to the tiny Cornish fishing port of Padstow to catch up with Rick Stein. He was performing at the town's annual food festival, which attracted more than 50,000 visitors, something I suggested was due to his reign as the King of Padstow. I asked him how that felt. Um, I have to put up with it, I suppose, but, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, the only reason I say that is that people like Paul Ainsworth and Nathan Outlaw said yesterday when I was interviewing them that this would not happen. The Padstow Festival wouldn't happen if it hadn't been for you. Well, that's really interesting because I had a dinner at Paul's restaurant last night and I, it's so good. And I was thinking, you know, we all need each other, really. You yeah. know, to have a restaurant of that prestige in Padstow it means so much to us. So... Uh, but that he can grow that kind of business now, as can Nathan, because they can, well, Nathan came out of your kitchen for a start. But Padstow is a place where places like Paul Ainsworth's uh, Padstow Town yeah. House of a Six, they, they can all really flourish, largely because of the, the kind of the culture that has been created here. And that was by you. You can't get away with that. Well, I think so, Gilly. I've th- I, I always believed in this and it's sort of developed over the years that if you can sort of establish almost like a, a sort of base camp for sort of really good food, others can grow on it. And I remember years ago doing a TV series from Ludlow in Shropshire and a friend of mine, Sean Hill, who's now moved on to um, Abergavenny to the the walnut tree. But the same thing happened there. You you need about two or three sort of like-minded people that believe in sort of excellence in food and who also believe in cooperating with each other. Because in the old days, you know, there was always like, what's he doing then? Why, why has he got that on his menu sort of thing? And now it's, it's much more about, well, this is what we do. This is what Paul does. This is what Nathan does. And we all, we all get on and understand the need to get on together and just sell the area. It's about actually Padstow. It's not about the individual restaurants. Absolutely. And, and that affects the growers as well and the producers, the fishermen. I mean, it's a really fantastic sort of self-feeding culture down here, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, I mean, I mean some of the fishermen I've been friends with since, since I opened the restaurant, you know, they're dropping a bit, you know, because <laughs> that was in the mid-70s. And I just bumped into one of those fishermen, his old mate, Johnny Mert. 
you know, he's the real deal. He, he, he's a lobster fisherman, and so is all his family. I mean, I started buying from his grandfather years ago, you know, like in the... Well, in fact, my dad, uh, the Johnny Mert Sr., and my dad had a, a lobster boat together, you know, so I go, I go back a long way with those Padstow fishermen. And back in those old days, his famous seafood restaurant was home to a disco. And not just any old disco either. Well, it was my disco, yeah. I um, opened it in 1974 with a, my best friend, J- um, Johnny Walter, as a, as a disco. Because I'd been running a mobile disco around the area. And I, fortunately, we had a bit of money. I had this uncle from Germany, great uncle, who left me 12 grand, which in the early 70s was like, you know, huge. huge. And Johnny had some family money. So we bought what was a nightclub on the quayside in Padstow and turned it into a disco. But unfortunately, you know, we didn't really know how to run nightclubs. Still wouldn't, you know, it's very specialist. (laughs) You have to have a lot of very large people and a good sense of humour and also a lot of physical ability, which me and Johnny didn't really have. But there is that kind of sense of theatre that you must have had that ability to create theatre. That's a good question because I've always thought that there is quite a lot of similarity between running a disco and running a restaurant. Basically, you're out to please people. You're out to sort of, you know, get them not thinking about their sort of problems, miseries, whatever, but thinking about what is so nice, either dancing to some really great music or eating some really great food. So you've been doing telly, you've been doing all your big, big stuff for, for what, 25 years now? Yeah. What's ahead for you? Well, I suppose what's ahead is just a feeling that, of going on as long as they want me to. So I'm not, I'm not sort of like thinking, this is what I'd like to do next. It's... Um, you know, we've just done this series going through various um, European cities called Long Weekends, but next I'm going to Mexico because I've been to Mexico quite a few times and um, really wanted to do something quite, you know, for me, quite big for old Mexican cuisine, which I've always loved. So there's, there's always something else to do. And because I do travel a lot, I do pick up ideas from all, all over the world about what I want to do. And I think it's, you know, I feel, I feel a bit like so reassured that David Attenborough is still, you know, enthusiastic into his late 80s, early 90s. You know, you just go on till you drop, really. And here's Johnny and his uncle Bernard of Mert Shellfish landing their catch in the harbour. I asked Johnny if it had been a good day at sea. Uh, quite slow today. Yeah, this, um, I've been on my crab gear, so easterly wind kind of kills the fishing. Bernard, how is it? Very good. Yeah? <laughs> he said rather smugly. <laughs> But I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Supplying seafood for the likes of Rick Stein and Michelin-starred Padstow chefs Paul Ainsworth and Nathan Outlaw has meant that there are rich pickings for the Mert family. And Johnny thinks that as restaurants across the UK meet increasing demand for excellence, there's more than enough to go around. What you'll find is there's some brilliant catch all around the country. You know, what we see in North Cornwall, Ford Isaac boys and the Nuki boys, you know, we're all catching the same quality stuff. I think restaurants, certainly high-end restaurants, are really, really interested. And I think that if more fishermen were to contact them, say, the boys in the southeast that might be catching Dover soles, if they got directly in contact with some of these, certainly some of these better high-end restaurants, um, you'd find that they would much rather work directly with fishermen. And, and that, even though you can't guarantee supply, I think restaurants, I think they like to have that little story behind the fishermen. They do. And it works, and their customers like it. It's good work if you can get it, but it's not all plain sailing in the fishing industry. I asked Johnny if he would wish it for his own kids when they grow Dad up. Dad said if he sees them near the boats, he'll kick her ass over in the quay. <laughs> so, 
But you don't know. You don't know what state things are going to be in in 20 years. It's just it's hard to know. And that's the point, really, you isn't know, it? What you're talking about is yeah. keeping a sustainable fishing industry. Um, it looks pretty amazing around here. There's a lot of people who really want fish. Would you want it for your kids? Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. Good. I think I would, but I don't know if their mum will let them. <laughs> Tim Morton and Richard Horsey are the authors of Ugly Food, Overlooked and Undercooked and are on a mission to change our buying habits. I took Tim to meet fishmonger Andrew Scott at Andrew's Fish Shop in the open market in Brighton to see what he's calling ugly. I think a lot of UK fish buyers would look at this display and be quite off-put off by the fact, for example, that you've got so many whole fish. I like giving them a choice. You know, there's nowhere else you... you you can't go to Sainsbury's and buy a gurnard. Yeah. Some people would look at that and they'd say, oh, that's a really ugly fish. So pulling out those fins, it gives it a little bit of a character. It suddenly looks like a little Disney character. It's beautiful. <laughs> Looking around Andrew's display of whole fish and shellfish, I asked them what they would take home and what they'd do with the cod cheeks I'd just spotted. Well, I would just pan-fry them with a bit of butter uh, or in a bit of olive oil and a little bit of chopped garlic, chopped parsley, until they're just cooked through delicious i'm actually looking somewhat to the left of the cob cheeks i'm looking at these scad or horse mackerel as it's sometimes called if we were in portugal there wouldn't be any of those left because that's the prized yeah. and these are off the boat this morning they're a beautiful fish people don't like them because they don't look particularly nice but the flavor is gorgeous the japanese are really really fond of them people from the med in north africa they will have them that size and they'll skin them they just take the head off and they'll skin them and then they flour them and, and fry them. Huss, I think, is supremely underrated and available on the south coast. Uh, I mean, in Worthing, where I live, we still have day boat fishermen who actually sell from the beach. Yesterday I bought half a dozen whiting, smaller than that originally, but for about pound twenty. Razor clams over there, which are becoming ever more fashionable. And you just touched them and they came to life. Yeah. What would you do with them? Uh, griddle. Put it on a griddle. Uh, you can steam them. Uh, but they're best done on a griddle and they open up. I asked him why he'd chosen to focus in the book on octopus as his main example of ugly food. It is my favourite food. I think you can prepare it in so many delicious ways. And it seems to be a nice... It's a nice kind of metaphor for everything we're talking about. I mean, it's octopuses are pretty ugly. I mean, you know, even if you, even if you kind of love them the way that I do, they're still pretty ugly. They're a very bizarre creature. You know, they've got an anus and a mouth which is the same orifice so they have detachable penises um, and, they're, and they're utterly delicious they're incredibly um, thrifty because you buy an octopus and you eat everything and, and actually on a serious level we do need to be much more diverse in our um, fish Absolutely. eating because from a sustainability issue we're overfishing the seas yes and I mean the, 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 one of the central things about a, a, a good aquaculture is that what we want to avoid catching is animals that live a long 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 time and grow relatively a short amount a small amount in that time so for example some of the deep sea fish that we've that have been marketed in recent years you know they live for 50 years and they grow to two kilos well it's not going to take long to uh, to run out of those octopus um live fast and die young they're, they're sustainable. I mean, there are some species of octopus that are being overfished in the Indian Ocean, for example, but over here in the UK, octopus stocks are doing fine. So, so give us your best octopus recipe. Well, I think simple is best. Um, my favourite octopus recipe is utterly simple. It's a freshly boiled octopus, warm, freshly boiled potatoes, warm, cut the octopus arms up into sort of pieces about an inch long, put the potatoes warm on a plate, strew with pieces of octopus, 
raw onion on top of that and lashings of olive oil. And is that a Portuguese recipe? That's a Portuguese recipe, yeah. And a shout-out to Senor Armando Rocha, who showed me how to make it, and who I've only just reconnected with after 20 years on Facebook. Mm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mm, delicious. Cougar made big news before Christmas with scores of books published on the scandy pursuit of cosiness, and there's been something of a backlash against it. Singer Johansson is the author of one of those books, How to Hygge, and tells us in the January issue of Delicious magazine how Nordic noir is not just for box sets. I joined her for a bowl of fresh, slowly simmered porridge to ask about that backlash and what hygge really means for the bleaker days of midwinter. This is actually a classic Norwegian freezer jam, which is a compote that you make during the summer months with uh, fresh fruit and berries. And all you do is just add sugar and uh, ascorbic acid to the berries and stir it up and then freeze it. That's and it. It's, and it's lovely because, you know, we only sort of eat seasonal stuff, don't we? But this is yeah. a kind of a little throwback to those light months. Exactly. <laughs> Now, it's a couple of months after the book came out, mm-hmm. and we all know how to hygge now. Absolutely. It's all candles and cuddling up and being nice to the world outside. In the bleak months ahead, <laughs> how can we hygge through the dark days? Give me a tip for Blue Monday, for example, the day when the credit cards all arrive oh. after Christmas. <laughs> I'd say the best, the, really the best strategy from a Nordic perspective is to get outdoors and there's now a lot of scientific research showing that you have a lot of psychological benefits from spending time outside in nature seeing different shades of green is very calming it's very soothing to our eyes and um, very effective at reducing anxiety and has also been shown to reduce some depressive uh, symptoms as well so there's only so much that's within our control obviously if you've gone crazy spending lots of money at christmas then um well, I ha- you have my sympathies, but um, but I think it felt it's, good at the time. It felt good at the time, and maybe for next year, uh, think about reining in your spending. <laughs> I mean, for me, just reading through your book, it just really made me think that it, actually it's a philosophy that's about lighting up your life, and it's a metaphor, isn't it, for shining some light into the dark bits? Yeah. 
definitely. I mean, I think what people often forget is that in the frozen north, you know, although there's darkness, there's bleakness, you know, everyone's watched Nordic Noir, you know what we're like as people, we're very melancholy, we can be quite dour, um, quite stern, and uh, we're not prone to overuse of words. <laughs> um, so there's that there's that side of the Scandies and the Nordics, but actually there's also a lightness of touch, and we and we know this. There's a silver lining to everything that um, the Scandinavians have recognised that throughout the centuries. That it's one of the reasons why we go crazy during midsummer. We have so much fun, you know. We're, we're healthy hedonists during the, the bright times of year because we know that once we've survived winter, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's uh, there's midsummer to look forward to and. You know, it's about having a sense of perspective, like everything, you know, knowing that the seasons change and we have to cope with that, you know, rather than fight it. And on the west coast of Norway, where my family's from, the locals in the local dialect, they still say, which means now we're going to have a good time. You know, that's the modern interpretation of Higya. But actually, historically, when you think about it, if you look at it from a linguistic point of view, Higya meant to be or to think. And so there's an element of you know, this idea of it's a state of being, it's a state of mind, mm. um, which is often forgotten in the kind of Higa hysteria about, you know, wrapping up with your cozy blankets and, yeah. and enjoying yourself. It's not gratuitous indulgence either. Scandinavians are not prone to that at all. We live very well and we live for the moment. And, you know, it's, it's, our, li- it's our Viking heritage. It's our pagan heritage, I think, more than anything. But actually, it's not a cozy surrender. You know, that's, I think that's really been misinterpreted, this idea that it's giving up. You know, it's definitely not. We are, we're, we're, you know, we're born to be robust and to, to fight, you know, the elements. We don't, we don't just uh, succumb to them. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, in terms of a robust approach to life, on Blue Monday, perhaps to start off with this rather gorgeous porridge Aww. would be a really nice thing to do wouldn't it because yeah. you've you've brought that strawberry back from a lighter time exactly tell me how you made the porridge um, well, the porridge is, uh, it's made with sprouted oats from Rude Health, and they're really nutty and delicious. Um, I'm not big on espousing the virtues of a healthy dish as such, but I think if it's naturally delicious, then go for it. Um, and I really love these oats. So they're a bit more slow cooking, so they take a little bit longer to prepare. Uh, they take about 20 minutes to cook in total. So again, it's about that thing of stepping back and, you know, savoring something, whether that's cooking your porridge in the morning, sitting down and eating it rather than on the run or on the tube. Um, and also making sure that, you know, you season it well. So there's vanilla salt in there from Halen Mon, there's a bit of milk, um, but you could do anything. You could put other spices in, you could, you know, you could, you could jazz up your porridge in a multitude of ways, but I've kept it quite simple. And then of course, with the strawberry compote, a sort of soothing oaty flavor along with the, the, the bright jeweled um, color of the, and, and flavor of the strawberries from the summer. It's, uh, it's kind of a match made in heaven, really. Mm, delicious. Food writer, Instagrammer and friend of Delicious Magazine podcast, Felicity Spector, has been embracing the winter by cozying up for the weekend at a food lover's dream of a B&B, Coombs Head Farm in Cornwall. She told me all about it. Well, Coombs Head Farm was set up by um, the Pitkey chef, um, Tom Adams, and April Bloomfield, who is a British chef who works in New York. And they've set up this working farm, which is also a bed and breakfast, and does amazing dinners as well in the evening. And so I, I went down to try it out for a weekend. Wish I'd stayed two nights. It was so fantastic. It was just one of the most dreamy places. It was so relaxing. It was marvellous. What kind of accommodation was it? Well, it's not a luxury hotel, but it's just beautifully done up. There's, it's a big farmhouse, and outside there's lots of grounds. Um, they've got a working farm there, so it's not sort of pristine gardens or anything, but all the better for it, really, because you can see the chickens running around outside who lay the eggs for breakfast and all that kind of thing. And there are, I think, six bedrooms. Um, one of them has a bunk bed for families with children. 
Um, and it's just really comfortable, really sort of calming and relaxing. Log fires and everything. Oh, a big log fire, yeah. Lots of magazines lying around, lots of cookbooks. There's a whole cookbook corner devoted to Diana Henry, which I really like. So it's the kind of place that a foodie would go for a lovely country retreat. But is there anything else that they do? Well, they are hoping to do, they may even have started them by now, um, some courses as well. So you could go down and spend an afternoon there learning bread making or something like that and then stay for dinner in the evening. But it's the dinners which are really the main point. I mean, there's the big communal table and it really takes, the dinner takes two parts. So you, you go in, there are sort of drinks... Um, Tom is sort of cooking away really sort of relaxedly in the kitchen you wander around and chat to him while he's doing it Lottie who's his partner is sort of passing around things and he creates these really incredible sort of so-called snacks which in anybody else's mind would be a sort of gourmet meal in themselves sort of these little tiny rye crackers filled with a sort of fennel puree and garlic capers which I didn't even know were a thing lots of different pickles he sort of whips up some kind of incredible taramasalata and then the bread is just a meal in itself he just kept drawing out these incredibly crusty loaves of sourdough sliced them up there was massive hunks of homemade butter with a, a very good ratio of sort of one to one bread to butter which you know what's wrong with that and all these things kept coming out and then on the back of your mind you're sort of tucking into this and thinking there's a dinner to come I mustn't overdo it and is it one of those long dinners that just goes on for five hours or so yeah and the wonderful thing is you just sit around a big communal table with all the other guests you don't know who's going to be staying so the, the weekend I went with a friend there was um, a couple who'd come from Singapore who'd read about it somewhere and, and decided they really liked foodie things and they'd managed to book it up. There was um, a lady who worked at um, the Jamie's 15 restaurant in Cornwall and her friend who decided to meet up there and, and have a night there. There was a couple of Irish um, people who'd heard about it and, and were really into different food experiences. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting group of people. And, and the next day, what, what did you get up to the next day? Well, to be honest, we spent ages having breakfast, which is almost as good as dinner, because dinner was just a succession of wonderful courses. Tom's very into his pigs, obviously, but even though I don't eat pork, he'd made me some beautiful vegetarian alternatives, and it was all just stunning. And then for breakfast in the morning, we sat around the same table, and there was, like, endless coffee, homemade yoghurt, homemade bircher muesli, stewed fruits, and then, of course, if you wanted to cook breakfast, massive slabs of pork belly and scrambled eggs. And all the, the sourdough bread came back again as toast. It was amazing. But one of the couples had been staying for two nights, and that's when I wished I'd booked in another night, because it was so lovely. It would have been really nice to stay, because it's quite a long way, obviously, to go all the way to Cornwall. But we went for a really nice walk. Um, they're happy to give you little maps of the area, but we went just down to the local village, had a little wander, tried not to get lost, and then had to go back for our train. But we could have stayed another day. There's plenty to do in the area. It's not near a beach or anything, but there's lots of lovely walks you could do. I think what Tom and Lottie want to do is create somewhere which is at the same time a working farm and a place for people to stay with the focus on food. And they want somewhere where they eventually can rear all, all their own food and grow everything outside. They have to buy in some stuff. It's all from very, very good local producers. Tom's got these mangalitsa pigs, which are his pride and glory. Um, and it, you, you can see it happening somewhere where everything you, you see outside is going to end up on the plate, which is just a real privilege. And obviously the provenance will be, you know, pretty amazing. And finally, I popped into the delicious magazine office to chat to deputy editor Susan Lowe about her favourite features in the January issue. We've got lots of things. It being the new year, we wanted to do something that was going to be a little bit exciting and maybe not what every other magazine in the world was doing. So we're taking a very, very balanced approach 
And um, you don't do this new year, new you. You don't do new year, new you. We have the idea that people should have a very balanced life and enjoy food and enjoy cooking and enjoy everything there is. Delicious is all about giving you ideas to get the best out of the things that you love to do, basically cooking. That's it in a nutshell. And we, we do like to indulge. We think it's good to indulge. And in January, when the weather is really cold, it's miserable out there, you're feeling, you feel better in your, in your, in your uh, previous months in the year. January is a time to really sort of indulge yourself a bit. Um, think about your health, think about your well-being, think about what you want to cook, think about spending time, think about doing it properly and having a great time in the kitchen and have a balanced perspective on it. Don't yeah. get too crazy about beating yourself up over diets or, you know, what you can't do. Think about what you can do. Yeah. You won't find a diet in Delicious magazine. No, we don't do the D word. <laughs> we do have very healthy recipes, though. So we always, always, always have information on how you can eat healthily. But Nigella says, that think about the first three letters in the word diet. True, yeah. So one of the features we got this year is the uh, launch of the Produce Awards 2017. Um, the inaugural year was last year for the Produce Awards, and that was a huge success. And anyone who has any nominations, anyone that they think is a brilliant baker or um, a fisher person or anyone who makes or creates food that they think is fantastic... They can let us know via the website and nominate that person. And we can hear the winners getting the news from Karen, the editor of Delicious, in the October podcast. So you can go to the iTunes and, and, and go back to that episode. What else have we got? Another feature we've got is about um, Action Against Hunger. And that's one of the, um, the charities that we, that we support. And we're very happy to do so because it's a fantastic organisation. And this year, there were three journalists, Bill Knott, Lisa Markwell and Dan Doherty, who went around the world and actually saw the work of Action Against Hunger in person and came back with some fantastic stories, which they tell in the issue, and also some fantastic recipes as well. So from the next podcast, we're going to have members of the Delicious um, editorial team reading out readers' letters. What do they add to the magazine? People write to us for all sorts of reasons. We all read them, we all talk about them, and if they need a response, we do respond to them. Um, and then we choose the ones that we think are most indicative that month and put those into, into the issue. So many of them are congratulating us on the, on the recipes, on the, on the magazine, the look in the feel. And then sometimes people will have something to say that really sparks a conversation in the office. It gives us an idea of, of what to put in the magazine. It could spark an, uh, a feature. Um, it could spark something, a change, something that we do differently from then on. So they're really, really important. They're our lifeline, really, to our readers' oh. thoughts. And so if people do want to, to write in, they write... Do. Readers at deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And that's it from the January edition of the Delicious Magazine podcast. Don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes. And if you'd like to hear it as soon as it goes live, you can subscribe for free on the podcast page of the Delicious website, deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with any of your ideas, email readers at deliciousmagazine.co.uk.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.